few years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Stay awake just to hear you breathing. Watch you smile while you are sleeping, while far away dreaming. Oh, man. That definitely different from Post Malone's uh, Circle intro. Yeah. Uh, we're, in, we're in a bit of a mood today, but uh, we're allowed to be. Ice. Yeah, we are. We're, we're allowed to be. Anywho, welcome, uh, Special Forces Gang. This is Isaac Asiata here with Tom Hackett and Aerosmith. Don't want a club. Great tune. Oh, great song. Fun fact. Yeah. In my youth, okay, my younger years, mm-hmm. and I was going through some. Uh, your relationship. Little... I'm a softy. I'm not. I'm not okay. I'm not a softy, but I'm a teddy bear. Yeah, I? you are a big teddy bear, guys. Back in the day, when me and my now wife would be having our, you know, going through your 17, 18 year old relationship problems, I uh-huh. used to blare this song. Did you just listen to it and cry myself into a stupor? I get that. So dramatic. I'm trying to think what song I was. I would always listen to. There was one song. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Seal. I haven't thought about Seal for a long time. Uh, way to give some energy to the show, guys. I like that. Hey, uh, before we get started, big shout out to our sponsors. Nayway Subaru, 1207. South Main Street, Salt Lake City. U-Town, of course, Great Life Utah, greatlifeutah.com for more information. We have, uh, we have a good show. We do. We have a good show for you guys, despite the heartbreak that was in the Bay Area uh, a week from today. Can you believe that a week from today? We're recording on Friday. Who knows when you'll listen to this, but um, it's only been a week, which is quite remarkable. Um, We don't need to dwell on the game that much because Utah fans, I think, are only now just starting to be able to comprehend what happened and like show up to work and talk about it. With one another. I think they're only just barely getting to that. So we don't need to go crazy and dive into the X's and the O's and what happened on the offensive line, although I, I would like to hear your thoughts on it. I, I did speak to Carl Whittingham about a few other things as well after the game that's uh, probably worth sharing. The Utes are going to the Alamo Bowl. We're kind of wrapping this whole season up um, because whether Utah fans, Isaac, like it or not, uh, the Alamo Bowl is a loss. You know, and they might win the game. I'm not saying they're going to lose the game, but I'm just saying the fact they're going to the Alamo Bowl, Utah fans should not care. 
They shouldn't care for the Alamo Bowl. The, the Utah fans, if you if you want your program to be a perennial powerhouse in college football, then you cannot, you cannot be satisfied with the Alamo Bowl when you have an 11-win season. You just can't. Here's what's mind-blowing about college football to start things off, guys. Let's just assume following the USC last four weeks into the season, USC went undefeated in the Pac-12 and end up going to the Pac-12 championship game. Let's assume Utah went undefeated, which they did, up until the Pac-12 championship game. But Utah wouldn't have played in it because USC were in it, right? But you're still in an 11-1 football team, fifth in the country. Utah's going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Utah might get punished maybe a little bit in the rankings, right? Like, well, they're the fifth best team in the country, but they're not going to their conference championship. So let's drop them to like seven or eight, you know? But they're not dropping to 11, and they're not, they're not missing the Cotton Bowl. They're just not. It, it, there's no way you can tell me that Utah would miss out on a New Year's Six Bowl if they didn't go to the Pac-12 championship game. The fact that they went to the Pac-12 championship game, the fact that they go blown out by 20-odd points, they were, they were penalized, punished because of it. They end up going to the Alamo Bowl. That makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. How can, how can you penalize a football team, for making it to a college football championship game? I think <clears throat> I think it was more, well, I see your point, but I think it was more that one that got blown out, um, which sucks. And I hate to use the word exposed because I don't think they necessarily got exposed. I think they just got, that was their, real, their first real challenge since SC. I mean, Washington, kind of a give and take. But where all the other teams are doing so well, you know, that the the teams behind Utah, right? That's that's why I can see they went to the Alamo Bowl instead of a New Year's Six Bowl. But, again, it sucks. Like, they, did they really? Like, okay, they got beat. The last two touchdowns late in the game, I mean, it was a, it was a seven-point margin. Couple of minutes left in the third. And I'm telling you, the whole stadium thought Utah was taking this bad boy home. Yeah, so did I. Which was part of the heartbreak that occurred, was because down three scores at half, you think, we're in some trouble. We're in, we're in good trouble right now. But you know what? It's only three scores and pigs may fly. Well, lo and behold, pigs nearly did fly because we got back to a seven-point ball game um, with all the momentum on our side, and we couldn't quite get it done because, um, well, there were a few, there were a few reasons... I've got some conspiracy theories, Eyes. Interesting. Yeah, I've got some conspiracy theories. So, would you like to hear them? Love to. Okay. I think, and I wrote about this at KSLSports.com, I think that Utah forgot about the task at hand, right? The task at hand was beating the Oregon Ducks. And I think the locker room bullet, bulletin pin... Material was around the new the, the top four. Well, I, I just think they had so many weeks of bulletin pin board material, locker room. Well, it's a tongue twister. Like, you go back to the UCLA game, you remember that wide receiver coming out being like, oh, I have three catches on the season, but we're actually a tougher team than Utah. Shut the front door and get out of Rice Eccles Stadium. You got blown out. 
But they put that all around the locker room, much like in 2015 when some magazine from Ann Arbor called Utah Cupcakes and then there was a Cupcakes, you know, poster that was blasted on every wall in the facility. Yeah. And then there was – I can't remember if there was anything for Colorado, but uh, but it, it, nothing stands out. And then, of course, Paul, Paul Feinbaum comes out – Monday of championship week, so nearly nearly two weeks ago now, and says, nobody wants Utah in the championship. And I know all 25 of their fans are going to come after me. And they and then and then the, the Utah football team responded on Twitter saying, thanks for the locker room material, Paul. So you know that was blasted. And in fact, I've been told that that clip of him saying that on, I think it was on ESPN's Get Up this morning or whatever they do, that was on repeat on any on any television you you saw in the facility. And by the way, there's a lot of televisions around that place. And they, you know, like Utah BYU rivalry week, they have replays of kind of like the biggest hits that Utah put on BYU. Same thing, except Paul Feinbaum was up there. I just think that they forgot about the task at hand. They were fixated on this idea that they were a college football playoff contender. Well, reality check. You you ain't anything until you beat the Ducks. Yeah. You played a seven and five Texas team in the Alamo Bowl. I think they. I just think they got carried away. And, and you know what, guys? It pains me to say this, but for the first time this season, the moment felt too big. Boy, it was a really weird sideline. It was a really weird sideline. They went down seven of the Ducks early. Chaos. Really. Chaos. Screaming, people screaming, like, like my man, my man, you've you've been here before. In fact, you were here last week against Colorado. You went down seven nothing, and it was calm as a cucumber on the sideline. So strange. That's that's something. So when I where I was watching the game, I was watching with some of my buddies, and when they went down seven zero, I I even told them I was like, something don't feel right, Mm -mm. like. The way, because you can, they'll they'll show shots of the guys on the sideline, and there was no, there was none. The last nine weeks, you would look on the sideline if they were ever down or in a situation like this, where adversity kind of strikes early, and everybody just kind of, and like you know what I mean, like that's that kind of attitude. Like it's like, so what? Like they know that even though they're down, they're going to come back. I didn't feel that this game, and for whatever reason, it just felt like they kind of got punched in the mouth and that's a the universal term but they really did they got punched in the mouth and they didn't know how to respond like that's how i felt like watching the game it was like they were trying to swing for the fences and oregon was just one two tapping them the whole game it it was i'm telling you i i wish i um and i've said this before i'll say it again being on the sideline is really cool and all it's just I, I i wish i could trade places with people occasionally i wish people could experience what it's like at certain moments to be down there because it's so it's so difficult to explain but there was there was something that just wasn't quite there for Utah it just felt strange it felt like it felt really really odd and it hadn't felt like that all season long didn't even feel like that against USC midway through the fourth midway through the fourth quarter against USC you still felt like this team was going to come back and win and they felt like they knew that was going to happen but you go down 7 nothing with, like, 55 minutes of football still to play against the Ducks. Chaos. 
I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. The weird thing is like the feeling that I got just from watching, I felt that before, but as a player, which is weird. Have you been that? Have you felt that way before? Like just watching and then seeing the stadium, yes. I mean, the sideline, the players, and then you get that weird gut feeling like, okay, well. This isn't what it has been like in the no. past. So, um, the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. We'll discuss because that's all I, that's really all I watch on offense. Like my buddies were like, dude, did you see that kid? But I was like, no, I'm watching, I'm watching the defensive line. I'm watching what their linebackers are doing. You know, if there's a safety rotation, like I'm watching it from the perspective of an offensive lineman. And the frustrating thing was, yes, Oregon has talented defensive linemen. Yes. Their defense is extremely good. They have that. Uh, I can't remember his name. Number thirty-four. That D tackle was. Oh, uh, you're talking about Thibodeau. That was the the freshman. Yeah, yeah. He was the number one recruit in all of America last year. Yeah, and an they, absolute beast. Yes. He had two and a half sacks, Isaac. Yeah. And watching what was so frustrating to watch for me was knowing one knowing who we have right knowing the guys that we have on the o-line and i know it's always going to be a challenge like they're not just going to completely roll people but where i've watched them face adversity and you know respond and do what they do do what i know that they're coached to do and what they're capable of doing they didn't do it like oregon's d-line they came out swinging and started pushing the guys back Blah, 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 whatever. And I just felt like our O-line kind of shut down. And there was guys that are still, I'm not going to say they weren't, you know, playing, but it was like when on multiple occasions throughout the game, not just like at one point in the game, throughout the game where you're trying to run the ball and one or two offensive linemen are five yards in the backfield, that's, that's not good, dude. And I was getting so frustrated because every time it was like, okay, this is going to be a good player oh this is crucial you know an old lineman would be hitting be driven five yards backwards into the ball carrier so i'll share some insight with everybody um on the first possession first utah possession they drove the ball down to like the 33 yard line and dev and Derek vickers looked like he got a first down do you remember this yeah and then they got stuffed on third and one and fourth and one <clears throat> and and actually coach whittingham during the post game, said, in hindsight, I wish I had have challenged the spot because I could have sworn he got the first down. They they marked him short. And he said, you know, it's moments like that throughout a game that you look back on and you think to yourself, like, how would that have played differently? Because, yeah. like, it's just, you you know, like, you get stuffed on fourth and one on, on, you, on your opening drive. It's a completely different mindset, Isaac. You know this better than anybody. You were on the offense. The defense, ha- you know, their tails go up because... You know, they've got all the momentum now, and Utah's come in there, especially being like this big physical team that, you know, controls the line of scrimmage, and Oregon just got to stand on their, on their opening on their opening drive. That's a big deal. And who knows what could have happened. Utah may, may well have scored a touchdown if they had gotten that call, or at least picked up the one yard on third and fourth down. Maybe they would, maybe they would have just put three points on the board. But I'm telling you, from a mindset and a mentality, oh, yeah. that changes things. Oh yeah. So, but what I was getting at was on on that drive, they got stuffed on fourth down. The offense came, so I go stand by the offensive line, hear what Coach Harding has to say. And a lot, a lot of the time, it's schematic 
changes and he speaks to his offensive line and he's talking about what the D tackle did on this play and did you give a five call? You know, did Orlando? Did you give a five? I have no idea what any of that means. But but then he he said to him, like, what are they like up front? I'm like, oh, okay, I can understand this English. And and they all unanimously agreed that they weren't that good. Which is fine, right? And it's kind of expected from college athletes. You, you don't want you don't want to accept the fact that the opposing teams pretty good no but it, it's it's the mindset of it right like when we weren't the utah football of today like we're coming off a five and seven season and we're playing ucla or we're playing stanford clc would say that all the time like he's like do you know who we go against again in practice every day it's the same thing here and I wouldn't expect anything less so i get what you're saying sorry to cut you off no you're but- good I, all hiding responded with was I said, he said, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you guys think that way. But if if they aren't that good, then let, you know, let's move the yeah. ball at least one yard when we when we need to. Yeah. And um, it didn't work out. Hey, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on the targeting calls? I think that changed the game. That guy was a game changer. Are you defense. talking about the first one or the second one? Jeez, bro, the first one. The first one was kind of like I could see where he was going to try to wrap up, right? But then the space closed. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm kind of like, okay, I can see why. Second one terrible. But those are things that happen I agree, by th- the way. Those are things that happen throughout the game. That dude that dude got that pick. Remember that? Yeah. That dude, he's not in the game. So many things change. He balled out. That's yeah, he led. So uh you you're talking about, let me pull it up. I've got it right Number here. Number 25. You're talking about Brady Breeze, who's the safety, and you're talking about Troy Dye, who's the linebacker. Yeah. So, so both of these targeting calls happened in the first half. The second one happened with like three minutes left in the half. Okay, and that was on, uh, I believe that one was on Troy Dye. Brady Breeze led the team in tackles with nine. Nine total tackles. He was everywhere. Troy Dye was the second best defender for the Ducks with eight tackles. We're talking about their two best defenders, Isaac. It blows my mind. I wish I could swear because I would lose my mind. It just, I don't get it. Yeah. So there's a fix. I, I've come up with, with the, I know how to fix the targeting, no targeting. It's really simple. You... You publicize the conversations between the head referee with the monitor and the guys up in the booth. You you publicize that conversation, like like because then you figure out what what are they looking at and yeah. why are they making this decision. Like, wh- are they deeming it that his he wasn't hitting him with the crown? He was actually hitting him with the face. Like, you need to tell people that because nobody knows. I asked Coach Witt. During my, my halftime interview, I get two questions with him walking off the field. The second question I had for him was, hey, just out of curiosity, you were, you were obviously pretty animated with that, with that second no call on the targeting. Um, what, did, what did they tell you? And he said, nothing besides the fact it wasn't targeting. How on earth? How on earth is he meant to do his job? How on earth is he meant to coach, Isaac? And he doesn't even know. When he has no explanation, it, it, it does not make sense. It takes – if you publicize that, that conversation between the booth and the, mon- and the head referee, one, it 
it does better. It, it explains to people, fans, coaches can go back and listen to it. It explains to them why they're why they're making the decision, and it takes it takes a lot of it takes a lot of the the question out of it. Like like a part of me thinks that that that. I, d- I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go out and say anything that, that I don't necessarily agree in, but a part of me thinks, like, that was fixed in some way. Because I just have a hard time, especially the second targeting call. Like, that's the definition of targeting. If you go and look at the definition of targeting, I wrote about this on KSLSports.com. The definition's in the article. Go and read it. It's the, it defines targeting. So how? What, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you seeing? Exactly. Because everybody else is seeing something different. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, that's a good point that I never thought about because for those who don't know, there is a textbook definition and there the is. coaches will coach based on that definition. The problem is every time that there's a targeting call that fits that definition, sometimes it's not called. Sometimes it's not targeting. Sometimes it is targeting. Like I'm sure there's different factors, but if you have a concrete definition of what targeting is and you don't abide by it, and it's not law every single time, then why, why, why do you have it? But then in a game, especially a championship game like that where there's so much on the line, how can you not explain what you saw? Even to the head coach, like not even to the public, like he asked you what the, and all you said was no targeting. How can you do how, – how is that even okay? Do you I, know what I mean? I, I, I wish I had an answer for you. It um, it blows my mind. The NCAA just it every game they seem to come up like you want to protect the players. You want to put my rear end. You want to protect the players. No. Tyler Huntley was hit in the head twice. One with the crown of his helmet. The second with the the crown of the the defender's helmet. The second one with with the side of the helmet. He still lunged towards him. In a, in a in a dangerous manner. I mean, you 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 talk about wanting to protect the players. No, you're not protecting. Nothing. You know, like, yeah. you lie through your teeth. And you're a billion-dollar industry. You're a billion-dollar industry, yet week in and week out across the entire country. It's not just Utah. Across the entire country, there are calls that are so sporadic, so irrational, so different than every other week. Like, what, what, why? And, and what happens to the referees? Nothing. That's the problem. I want so somebody on Twitter, some fan. I can't remember who he was, but he had a side by side video of some of the hits that Marquise Blair was uh-huh. ejected for. So one of them, I can't. I don't know. It was last year. Same situation where a defender was. It was Washington. Was wrapped up right, and Marquise Blair came in, mm-hmm. and they hit the guy who uh, on on Tyler Huntley the first one the breeze guy that he had in the championship game, that hit that he had on Tyler was more so crown of the yes. helmet than Marquise's Marquise was ejected. It wasn't even like a long process. It was just, they came back targeting. He was gone. And I get, I get as a ref, there's a lot of stress. Like what if you make the wrong call? What if you reject this guy and Oregon loses? And then now you look like a bad guy because you rejected the guy, but oh, it wasn't targeting. But that's what, that's your job. Like that is your one job through the game is to call this game fair, and for you to do that and not have an, not not call targeting twice and not have any explanation for anybody. Why? How is that okay? I I hate 
blaming referees for for outcomes of games. I re- I really despise it. I I always have. It just feels like the cheap and easy way out, right? Yeah. But I, there is no looking past those two calls in the first. Like I I will I can't convince myself at all. I mean that they, they are they are just so drastic. Those calls are so big. And they mean so much to the outcome of a game that, by the way, is so great. The game is so big. It's the biggest game in Utah football program history. And sure, Utah football might not have you know, the, 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 the longest history, but it is just unbelievable how different every week is depending on the referee. It just reminds me of that. It reminds me of, and I love the NBA, Isaac. I really love the NBA. The biggest problem I have with the NBA, though, is two minutes left in the tight game, especially playoff game. But you could you could throw an elbow and not get not have anything happen. You, you know, depending on who you are, like if you're LeBron, KD, any of the guy, yeah, Kyrie, anyone that's like really big time, Donovan starting to get some of these calls. Like you could you can do no wrong. Two minutes left in a tight ball playoff game. Yeah. They just let you play. They let you play. And and I hate that. I hate that. Like, be consistent. Call the game how it's meant to be called. Yeah. I don't care what time of the game it is. If it is a foul, call it. I don't care if there's one second left, game seven of the of the finals. If it's a foul, call it. Kind of like when LeBron walks from the, yes, from the half night. court all the way to the three-point line holding the ball in his yeah, hand. A, what, what, and the ref is looking dead at him. Yeah. I the, the that's my, what it felt like the Oregon yeah. Utah game though. Sorry. My my problem with referees and I hate blaming them because like hey if you get the calls in your favor nobody blames the referees right, but there's no accountability there's no nothing happens to them why that's the problem that's what I don't understand and then because NFL refs can get fired yeah but these guys it's like a education process maybe a fine that's it. Do not be a ref if you're not going to be accountable. But then we have a commissioner who doesn't care. The can- oh, Larry Scott is not. He's not cool, man. No, he he's terrible. Sucks. The worst part is when we entered the Pac-12 our first year. I shook his hand on stage at at the state capitol and was like, "Thank you, thank you for letting us join." Blah. And yeah. now I absolutely despise him. He yeah. sucks. I I look. I I get that. I and I and I agree. Uh, I think you're preaching to the choir, eyes. He, uh, it's funny. We, we could talk about this for a long, long time. But you know, it's it's interesting. You got to if you if you went to Levi Stadium, thank you for get, getting yourself out there. There was like thirty thousand people, right? There, I mean, there just were, was not that many people there. And then Saturday, you turn the telly on. Saturday, maybe you didn't watch any college football, but you kind of flicked through a game here or there. If you didn't watch it, then no big deal. But the Big Twelve Championship game, Baylor Oklahoma. SEC championship game, uh, Georgia LSU, packed to the rim. Yeah, these stadiums, like, and 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 fans. And I tweeted this. By the way, you can follow both of us on Twitter at Tom Hackett or at Asiata Five Four. Fans were like, "Well, it's in San Jose. It's in Santa Clara. Flights are really expensive there, and hotels are really expensive." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." What you don't understand is I'm on your side. It should never have gone to Santa Clara. No. It should never have even been there in the first place. So I get why people aren't going. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, but, you know, I'm not gonna, never going to tell you how to fan. 
And and I, I was never saying, oh, you need to spend twelve hundred bucks on a plane ticket, then spend five hundred bucks a night at a Motel Six where you're more likely to get bed bugs and get any good sleep. You know, I wasn't saying that. I, I I don't blame you for not going if you didn't go. I if I didn't have to go, I wouldn't have gone. But the fact it's there in the first place is just stupid. Yeah, poor location. Horrible location. Right. Um. Let's. There you go. So I was fiddling with buttons. Let Let's take our one and only time out. I think I think what we need to do on the other side, eyes, is. Maybe give some some credit to people. You know, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, coach of the year. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. Don't go anywhere. Give us 30 seconds of your time. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. I could stay awake just to hear Watch you smile while you are sleeping. Back. While you're far away dreaming. Welcome back. That, it probably picked up on your mic. Your mic was on mine, was on. Anyway, we're, uh, we're struggling on this Friday. That music <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome. We, we're having a fun time, uh, although we are getting a little, a little uh, heated. Yeah, a little hot in here. Yeah. I think it's hot. Yeah. We. It, the loss, it is what it is, and it's hard because because it that could have been a big. It's it sucks because that's like a defining. That's like your crown jewel to be the o four o eight team. I think that's I mean? a program. Def- that's a program yes. changing win. Yeah, that, like, like seriously, that that would. Oh, man, it's it's hard because there's there was so much on the line for that game. It is what it is, but you know what? One hell of a season. Oh, one. Hell of a season. So, here's my question to you: um, Was this was this a successful season? I think it was a successful season with a disappointing end. Did the season live up to the expectation? Yes, until the end. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm I'm gonna say, and I agree with you, but the ending, right? It matters. Yeah. Yeah, you read a book and the ending sucks. You throw the book away, you say the book sucks. You watch a movie, the ending sucks. You leave the theater saying that movie sucked. I mean, I just. There was good, but it. You can't try and polish this turd. No, you're right. Yeah, there there was so much good, but it just. The bad that happened at the end of the season kind of overshadows everything. I won't take away the last nine weeks from these guys. I, 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 I agree. I. I think I think very similarly. Yeah, and I think that even though there was so much more that could have like good it would have done for the program, those nine weeks still did a lot of good for the program. Like we, I'm sure there's a lot of people. You know, we flipped that Texas running back. Mm. We have that big in-state old lineman commitment yesterday. Like, uh, make no mistake. You know, 
the season did a lot of good for Utah. Yeah. It's just a real shame in how it ended. You know, you, yeah. you're in a relationship and the relationship ends Isaac poorly. You hate that person for the rest of your life. But there was a lot of good within that relationship that happened. You know, a lot of laughs and love and fun and excitement. And But if it ends badly, then you're not, you know, you hold that grudge against that person forever. Or at least people do. Yeah. You remind me of an ex who still who has, like, some of my favorite shirts, yeah. hoodies. Like, if you didn't throw those away, I want them back. <laughs> <laughs> but the end, like, I guess my point is the ending really does matter. And, and, and that's where I'm at. You know, this this is going to leave a mark. This is going to leave a really sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. I mean, like, there, there is no fix to this. In fact, the mark of the loss will be left until they end up winning it. Like, yeah. there's no bottom line. Yeah. And here's, here's with Coach Whittingham, who we're both massive fans of. And I think Utah fans should be so grateful they have him at the helm because he is a remarkable teacher. He's a remarkable coach. Um, and he just, he understands the game of football. He understands psychology. That's what he graduated uh, down at BYU with. Like he, he just gets it right. But yeah. what's holding him back, like ESPN just came out with an article, top 150 coaches of all time. He's not on there. No. Gary Patterson is from TCU. Um, boy, the 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 ex Washington coach now, Chris Peterson, he's on there. Um, Urban Meyer, obviously, he's on there. Ronnie Mack's not on there. Lavelle Edwards is like forty one, but but Coach Coach Whittingham's not on that list. And I'm like, what? Well, that makes no sense to me. Well, how is he? And you look at the win loss record. He's going at like sixty odd, sixty five odd percent winning percentage which is quite remarkable. He doesn't have the championships. Yeah. He doesn't have the Power 5 championships. And that, I think that's holding him back. Yeah. He has to figure out a way. He has got to figure out a way to win the Pac-12. There's no ifs, buts, whys, hows, or it's about it. You just have to, you, you got to do it. Here's a, here's a question I have for you. Do they reload? After this year, and if they do, when, right? And how long until they get back to this caliber of play? Or is there a significant drop-off that takes years? You know, I'm not saying that since I, since 08, we haven't had a phenomenal defense like we have, but we haven't seen one like this before. No, and, and even offensively, I Same, like. Yeah. I I can't answer that question because I I don't know I've never seen a Utah football team that was as good as this year I've n- I never have I was on the team you were on the team and you can you can argue and differ with me um, if you want I I just I don't remember a team that was so dominant for so much of the season like really they they were so good they blew Oregon State at like fifty three to three or something I mean like fifty two to three. UCLA, blown out. Yeah. Arizona, blown out. Arizona State, never stood a chance. And the, the – the, oh, man. The thing I hate about all those is everybody just talks about that they were exposed. I hate it because they weren't exposed. That was a damn good football team. Oregon, and yeah. I, and give I, credit. I give Oregon a lot of credit, you know what I mean? But They are, they are really talented. Yeah. 
They are. The crazy thing is their O line. So I was watching their O line play. Oh, this is interesting because I spoke to coach about this after the game. I could not believe, like, some of the things that they do, you only see in the NFL. They had four seniors and their sophomore turned out to be the Outland Trophy winner, Penny Saul. Yeah. And who's a monster and a top three NFL pick. Who also almost came to Utah would be. I would I would have a field day if he was. Anyways, but just watching the way that they would adjust, the way that they would pick up all of Utah's pressures. Like I'm I'm not saying I'm fanboying over their offensive play, but like those are the things that I would see in, when I would watch NFL film. Yeah. And it's it's nuts. And I know that that, that Penne was training with a lot of guys who like Duke Mayweather who's big time a NFL legend, dude. And it showed, but, oh, man. So I spoke to Coach Wood about that after the game. And um, this was after the interview we conducted. I said, hey, Coach, because we normally have a quick back and forth before he gets on his merry way and heads to the to the bus or whatever. And he was heartbroken. But he's getting a lot better at dealing with losses, just, I think, because he's getting older and maturing and realizing that football actually isn't all this world revolves around. Remarkable thing, by the way, yeah. once you figure that out. Yeah, once you figure that out, I mean, but you're telling me that there's a billion people in China that don't give a... <laughs> oh, oh, my word. Um, anyway, we were talking, and I said, hey, coach, interesting, because before the game, I said, you know, the winner of Oregon's offensive line versus Utah's defensive line, I think, anyway, was, you know, could well determine the outcome of this game, just because that was such a... Two powerhouses, and then the strengths of their football team, right? Utah's strength was their defensive line, I think. They were, they got after quarterbacks week in and week out and just caused havoc for opposing quarterbacks. The opposing quarterbacks could never get in a rhythm just because the defensive line and linebackers, give linebackers credit to, were able to generate pressure. Um, and, and Oregon had an offensive line that was that was talked about as arguably the best in the country. So you're talking about the best arguably the best offensive line in the entire country going up, arguably the best defensive line in the country. You can't tell me that prior to that football game, you look at that matchup and go, well, the chances are that's going to probably have a pretty big impact on the game. And it did. He, and so Coach goes, what was really interesting about that, and I, he said, oh, I need to go back and look on film. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He said, I didn't think Oregon's offensive line was getting that much push, is what he said. Throughout the game? Yeah. He said the lime he said he said the linebackers for whatever reason and the safeties could not fill a gap. Like you think about that seventy yard CJ Vidal touchdown that ended up killing the Utes, like ending the game. That was Terrell Burgess. Yeah, that missing a tackle happened. on the line of scrimmage. Your safety, right? Yeah. Where where was where were the linebackers? Where, like where were they? Of course, if your safety ends up not having that tackle, it's green grass. It's to the house. He's a safety. So it just, and he was perplexed. He was just mind boggled. Like, ha- anyway, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. So, anyway, your offensive MVP. Who is it, Ice? Oh, man. Tyler Huntley. I agree. I was going to say Zach, but... The expectation for Zach was there. Yeah. He performed and blew past expectation, but 
Tyler showed up and he was the leader of the offense. He was the leader of the entire football team. Yep. I agree. Uh, who was your, your defensive MVP? Oh, geez. You go first. Uh, Jalen Johnson. Yeah. I would say... I would say Jalen or Francis. Yeah. The reason I, I, the reason I went with Jalen was because... Outside of the quarterback position, in my opinion, playing cornerback is the hardest position in football. Um, just... And he, he was tasked we seemingly every week with yeah. a really, really important matchup. You know, whether it was LaVisca Chenault, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, Basically everybody. Isaiah, Isaiah Hudgens from Everybody's Oregon baller. State. He yeah. had to shut him down. Yeah. Ayuk from ASU. I mean, it just week in and week out, it was something. And and I thought he, outside of that USC game, I thought, I thought he did a a really good job. Yeah. Really, really good job. Yeah. I only bring Francis's name in the conversation because he plays all over the field, man. And I think he does he did a great job filling a linebacker role. I mean, you could you could say Bradley and I, you could say Lucky, um but who do you think's the highest you taken off the board? Who mm-hmm. do you think goes first? I would say Zach, but I don't think it'll be Zach. I, I don't think it'll be Zach. I think either. it'll either be Bradley or Lecky. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Jalen. I can see Jalen going high too. Shut down cornerbacks. Yeah. They go higher than like like Lecky doesn't play a position in today's day and age that warrants that high of a pick. Yeah. Generally speaking, right? Yeah. The NFL loves edge pass rushes more so than. Yeah. Big dudes, big run blockers, right? Mm-hmm. Run stoppers. He reminds me of Vita there. And Vita went pretty high, right? Yeah. He was a first round pick? First round pick. Yeah. So they still go high. Suit, yeah. Yeah, I could see Jalen. I just think, I, I think, I, I'm going to go Jalen. Yeah. I could see Jalen going I, and then Bradley. Do you like think he, Bradley goes that high? I think Bradley's at least second round. Really? Yeah. I think he's damn good. I, I do I, too. I don't know. Is he undersized? I don't, man. I'm trying to think of some of the DNs that I've gone up against. That because he's not the biggest guy. He no. really isn't, but he's quick. He is explosive. He's very strong. Yeah. But but like he doesn't. He's not like the Forrest Buckner, right? Yeah. He's not. He doesn't have the super long. No. Angles. Yeah. Or even like a Nate Orchard off the edge. He's nowhere near Nate's size from memory. Damn, bro, you're just shutting down all my ideas. No, I think he I could know. go high. I, I just question what the NFL scouts say about his size. Yeah. Is he, is he big enough? Yeah, or will he get manhandled by tackles in the I NFL? Think his, I think his tenacity, his explosion is on his side. I think measurables lengthwise is the only problem. Um, who else, man? Who else are you thinking? Do you go? think Tyler Huntley gets drafted? I think it goes late. You think he gets drafted though? Like, do you know why? Why Lamar Jackson? I agree. Because I those, like that call. That there, it's a copycat league. The NFL is a copycat league. Everybody wants to try to do the same thing as everybody else. Everybody copies the Patriots. They take things that were like we would watch in our special teams meeting. We'd watch basically um, either like plays of the week or like terrible special teams plays. And and Rizzy, my coach with the Dolphins, he'd always do like the copycat of the week. You would we would watch plays where one team ran it one week, it didn't work. 
and then like five other teams ran it the next week. Same exact play, same exact formation. Everything's copycat league. Now, in the day and age right now where Lamar Jackson is Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, every they they they're dangerous because Russell Wilson. They I mean, don't they don't play by the traditional. He's just going to sit in the pocket rules. You know what I mean? I think that trend's been happening for a while. Oh yeah, Lamar is Pat. Well, you could argue MVP last year. Patrick Mahomes was yeah incredible. Russell Wilson's been doing it for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Kyler Murray was drafted number one. There's a reason Baker Mayfield was drafted number one. Yep. They're not traditional quarterbacks. Nope. They get out in the pocket. They like to move. They can throw just as well on the run as yeah. they can in the pocket. I mean, and I can see Tyler going late. I, I, I like that take. I, think I agree. He, I think he does get drafted maybe fifth and later because <clears throat> it'll be something where they're like, yeah, like we want to see what he can do, and hey, might find that diamond because he's not. They're not going to take him. No, I, I get that. So, I like that a lot. Hey, uh, before we get going with this thing guys it is worth talking about just a few of the players that are returning like brant keithy had a monster season yes monster monster season he will be coming back which is exciting for utah fan um you'll have a running back core that's really exciting i mean young but really exciting you yeah. just flipped that kid out of out of texas who uh was the number ninth running back in the entire country by the way uh you 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 still have the fella um out of la that was that was getting a few reps early in the season. That, that fell off. Brain fighting on his name. I can't remember. Brumfield? No. Wilmore? Yes, Jordan Wilmore. Thank you. Sorry. He's going to be good, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you you get everybody back on the on the at the receiving core besides Demari Simpkins. Same with the O line. O line. Everybody comes back besides Darren Polo. Yep, and they'll find a tackle. Defense, defense. You know you're going to be good, right? You lose a lot in the secondary, but you got Mika Tafua, Max Tupai returning on the on the off, on the defensive line. A number of other guys, Peter Tonga, I think, yep. comes back. Uh, Devin Lloyd had a breakout year. Yeah, he's going to be a stud. He's going to be really good. He really good. Now you lose a lot in the secondary, right? Yes. Terrell Burgess, Julian Blackman, Jalen Johnson, Javelin Gidry returns, so that's positive. Nurse is pretty good. I think. He's leaving. Oh, Nurse is leaving. He's oh, a senior. I forgot. So you lose both starting cornerbacks, both starting safeties. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. In the that spring. yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be that's gonna have all eyes on uh, on Sky. them in the spring. But you got good coaches. You, you trust Coach Shaw with everything you have. Scally, same way. Yep. So, and then of course we can't forget about the quarterback, Jake Bentley, the, the transfer that came in from South Carolina. I mean, the guy that guy was a 2018 team captain at, at an SEC school. Yeah. You know, has dealt with injuries, yeah. which is a problem. And they love Cam Rising. By the way, I bumped in a, in a Britain Covey um, last night. And uh, we were down, just downtown. We, he was going to a concert. I was headed back to the car with Travis, who's in Downey. And he, he brought up Cam. He said, Cam's the real deal, I'm telling you. He, so good. Britain Covey raves about Cam. Which should make every Utah fan happy, yeah. but th- but that Matt, you know, Jason Shelley, Jason Shelley's going to get beat out in spring. He's going to transfer. Drew Lisk should go play at Weber State because he's actually going to play there. It's it's between Jake Bentley and Cam Rising, I think. Yeah, and then we had that. Oh, there's that other quarterback, right? From. Oh, jeez. There was a tall quarterback from uh, from Florida. He decommitted, but he wasn't Ludwig's guy anyway. Okay. Anyways, yeah. Hey, you've got a you want to you want to talk oh, yeah. about a GoFundMe quickly. So there's a um, 
I'm working with a with the Provo City Police Department to do a fundraiser um, for one of their officers who was killed in the line of duty um, earlier this year in January. Um, they have a GoFundMe going on right now to help get him a memorial at uh, Washington D.C. the Fallen Officers Memorial um, to be dedicated for during Police Week in May, um, and to help get his wife and his two kids out there um, for the memorial and dedication. And, um, if you're interested in, um, donating this year for a good cause, I have the link for the GoFundMe for officer Joe Shinners on my Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. I'll be doing a lot of shares with that. Um, I know it would really help. So that's just my plug at Asiata five F I V E four. Yeah, five four. Add us out of five four. So go check that out. Hey, uh, we appreciate everybody that's tuned in this season. Um, we love you. We thank you for the for the listens, Isaac. It's been a pleasure. We may well do another one. Depends when the police force thing starts. You know, January sixth. January sixth. We'll try squeeze one in before then. But if not, we will uh, we will speak to you guys sooner rather than later. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy Christmas and the holiday season, eyes and uh, and all of our listeners, of course. To our, to our sponsors, we thank them as well. Uh, Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street. Go check them out. They're very, very nice people. Nice yeah. people. I'm coming. Don't worry, Nate Wade. I'm coming. Yeah, Isaac's going to make a trip. So if you want to maybe bump an Isaac down there, you can find him there. And, of course, Great Life Utah, greatlifeutah.com for as low as $50 a month. You can take the entire family, play golf at certain certain courses, uh, work out. I mean, all, all of the above. It's crazy. Greatlifeutah.com. We uh, we love and appreciate everybody, and I think it's only fitting we end the season. Little Arrowsmith, mm. hang in there, Utes. Adios. <laughs>